It's time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Monday, June 8th, 2020. We took a few days off for the weekend like we normally do, but we're back here on this fine Monday morning ready to go and ready to put out some more episodes this week for you guys, Monday through Friday, usually in the morning. Typically, we record the day before the night before. Our interviews, by the way, are usually done a week or so in advance. However, the interview that we are putting out today on Monday is with Todd McRaven. Mr. McRaven was a LA County Sheriff. He recently retired last year in 2019. I first met him back when I was coaching his kid, his son, Andrew, Back when he was, I think, second or third grade, I was in like eighth grade or maybe ninth grade even. I, I kind of forget. But anyway, that's how I knew him. He later went on and played uh, more sports under his dad. But I, then I later found Mr. McRaven again as he was a parent again to his youngest kid, umpired a few of his games. So just recognized him. And that's how we kind of got in touch and and uh, became, uh, well, continued a friendship. But we connected a little bit more through social media and such. He is our guest today, and he's going to talk about uh, law enforcement. He's going to talk about what it was like in the riots in 92, his experiences there. He's going to talk about kind of the perception of law enforcement and also what goes on kind of behind the scenes regarding law enforcement and maybe finding, uh, I don't know, you know, how they police themselves within the different departments and everything. Uh, Looking forward to having you guys listen to this. It was a fun recording. We recorded it probably, uh, I'm going to say give or take Thursday maybe. So it's it's a little more recent. It has some more recent content that is current events. We definitely wanted to get into everything that's going on around the country with uh, the protests and the rioting and just the, the demand for change uh, amongst law enforcement and, and some other topics as well. So really looking forward to this interview. It's probably one of my favorite ones I've done. I told him that after we got done recording and just very much look forward to you guys hearing it. But I have a few initial thoughts this Monday morning. Uh, My weekend was okay. Didn't do a whole lot. Took a breath, took a breather from some of the uh, podcast activities. But, you know, the past week or so, as as things just continue to uh, be violent out there and you know what? Uh, There's more and more people being harmed. It's just so sad. It really is. And I know uh, there's a lot of emotion and people really want to get some change out there with some of the things that have been going on. But my initial thought is, you know, what, where, where does it end or where do we, we begin? Like, where are those two things fit in? I don't think we can begin moving forward until some of this violence stops. Again, not the protesting. I think we, we all agree on that. But there's this attack on law enforcement now because people are angry and they almost think all law enforcement are wrong. And law enforcement have an even more difficult job now because of that target on their back. 
I mean, I've read some just horrendous things about people pursuing law enforcement to their home. Uh, We've had a few law enforcement officers die already. And there isn't, none of these things make anything right. You have your beliefs, you have your convictions. You cannot wish ill will and, and violence on other citizens. That's exactly what's being protested. And then go around and do it or to have other people do it when you're trying to get your point across another way. That's unfortunate because they're taken away from what you're trying to say. So I think we've had some big time outcries from celebrities and some leaders about change and moving forward. But I have yet to hear a whole lot of them denounce the violence that's going on. I would like to see that happen as well. If people want to use their platform to speak out on injustice and you know making thing making things better, well we also need to use that platform to say what is wrong. And the continued violence is extremely wrong. And I pray for every law enforcement officer out there. I pray for every citizen out there. Some will say we're accomplishing something with some of these acts. I disagree. And that's another subject. Disagreement. There is no reason there can't be many opinions out there. Are there wrong opinions? Yes, there are. But there's also facts. I think we're so afraid to have our own opinion these days because if someone disagrees with you, they will shame you into your opinion. I'm not talking about some sort of extreme opinion, uh, labeling people or something like that. I'm talking about, let me give you an example. Drew Brees, last week, Somebody asked him about the kneeling for the flag back in 2016 and, or maybe it was 17, excuse me, pardon me if my year's off. I think it was 2017, but they asked him about the national anthem and if he maybe was going to see more of the protesting during the national anthem that occurred back then with Colin Kaepernick and other people. Well, I thought he gave a very strong response. They asked him about the national anthem. He spoke his heart about what the national anthem means to him. He started it off by saying, I will never agree with disrespecting the American flag during the national anthem, I believe. And I think that's what got everyone very excited and emotional I don't think anywhere in there, a quote, he talked bad about protesting racial injustice, about uh, no one should do what they feel. No one should be. I thought his quote, if you if you really listen to the whole quote, was pretty much, I mean, I think it's how a lot of people feel. 
talking about his grandfather fighting in World War II. He even touched on the civil rights movement in the 60s. He said it's not just people who fought on the battlefield, but it's everyone who's gone through difficult times and fought for civil rights and all the struggles that a country's gone through. He said, do we have a lot of issues going on right now? Are we perfect right now? He touched on that and said, no, we're not perfect. We have a lot of work to do. He said those words. But the media, the social media, a lot of people were upset. They were upset at his comments. And they were upset because they felt he was out of touch with what was going on. Could he maybe have touched on a few more things? Maybe he could have said, you know what, there's a, I stand behind uh, support of racial, racial tensions and, and getting improvement in that area. There's no excuse for racism. He could have said those things. But when he was asked that specific question, in my mind, he didn't do anything wrong. Now, there's people sitting there and be like, he's very insensitive and this and that. Okay. The biggest problem I have is that then the social media mob, the media mob, caused an uproar and pretty much forced his hand to apologize. Do I think he was sincere in his apology? Yes, I do. I think he felt horrible that he said something that really hurt hurt the cause right now. Okay, fair enough. But he gave his opinion of what the American flag means to him. And that doesn't mean everybody needs to feel that way. They don't. Everyone has their opinion. Someone see that flag and see it for different reasons. I'm more in the Drew Brees boat. I, I, I have strong convictions for that flag and the national anthem and how we should be during that time. Do people have a right to protest? Yes, they do. So people have some strong convictions in that area. Okay. I may not disagree. I may disagree with them. But that doesn't mean they're wrong, they're wrong or I'm wrong. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. And it was just disturbing to me that how quickly there was this just wave of hatred against him. It was unfortunate. And you know what? For what it's worth, I agreed with what he said. They asked him about the national anthem. He prefers not to protest that way was kind of the gist of it. If you really want to sum it up, but I don't think Drew Brees, who's done a lot for the city of New Orleans, should have been attacked that way. Again, that's my opinion. I'm allowed to have an opinion. There are very, very extreme opinions, maybe violent opinions, where yes, that's where we got to... <laughs> You can't just uh, say, oh, I hate this race of people, and that's my opinion. No, that's not right either. So I was upset at that Drew Brees situation. It is what it is. He since apologized. A lot of people were not happy that he apologized because they didn't feel he said anything wrong. If they asked him about racial injustice, he would ask answer the question differently. But they asked him about the national anthem. And I think it's once again the media taking something, running with it, throwing it out to social media. Everyone's got to comment on it. Everyone's got to speak out on it just to feel, well, everyone's emotional and intense right now. we got to stop this. This is, this is ridiculous. No one's understanding. No one's listening. Well, you know what? If we want to 
be mad at someone for not listening and getting it, we got to look at ourselves too. We can't be mad at someone else for for not listening when we're not listening. Conversation is two things, talking and listening. And I was always told we got one mouth and two ears. Don't ever forget that. So we need to listen to each other. Whether we agree or not is a whole nother subject. But the willingness to listen to other ideas, other opinions is what makes this country great and is how we're going to move forward with not just this subject, but many other subjects. Anyway, those are my thoughts this Monday morning. I do not want to take away from our guest, Mr. Todd McRaven. I really, really, really wanted to get some law enforcement officers on here, some former, some current, still working on it. But today, Mr. Todd McRaven will lead us off. He's a big sports fan. I know he loved watching his kids play sports. It was just a blast to sit down and chat with him about his kids and them uh, becoming adults now and, and just all their success in academics, all of the above. It was a great conversation. I want to play it right now for you guys so that we get to it. It's a, it's a rather long one, but you know, uh, the way things are going, <laughs> our recordings are, are tending to be a little bit longer and, and I got no issue with that. I really like that. And uh, you know what? I want to get to this interview right now. I think you will all learn something. So keep an open mind when you're listening to Mr. McRaven. He's got a lot of great things to say about the current issues going on and some really good insight on, on law enforcement and just uh, you know everything that that entails. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll get right into the interview with Mr. Todd McRaven. Okay, joining us today is Todd McRaven. He's a retired L.A. County Sheriff. He also is the father of a kid that I used to coach a long time ago, kind of when I started coaching when I was in junior high. Uh, Andrew McRaven was his name, a member of the Gators. So Mr. McRaven, I know, is a proud parent of uh, Cary Youth League uh, once upon a time, but I just want to welcome him to the program. Uh, Mr. McRaven, although it is Todd McRaven, <laughs> welcome aboard. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> well, 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 Todd, <laughs> that's going to be hard to say. No, I'm telling you, it's, it's <laughs> over a few minutes. Don't worry. It'll happen. Okay. It's Mr. McRaven to me, but uh, I'll, I'm going to try this Todd thing. Uh, okay. Well, uh, I, we met way back. I want to say, uh, you know what, probably just in, in the nineties, I want to say it was the late nineties because yeah. I wasn't even in high school. yet. Yeah. I think it was like 98, 99. I know Andrew started at care in 97 when he was six so it was, oh my goodness. it was shortly thereafter six so wow that's uh yeah that really i'm sure you know this but man as, as uh, you, we all start to get older that's crazy how the the time is connecting absolutely <laughs> well well i was uh eighth grade ninth grade maybe even um i was a privilege to uh partner up with Mr. Rick Johnson and coach those guys, even a little bit before then, I believe that was such a fun time coaching that group of kids, Andrew, your son, uh, you know, Jeff, I remember some of these names now, <laughs> Jeff Collins, Cosman, Jeff Collins, Russell, Cosman, I mean, uh, uh, Cody Fabella. I, I still have all those guys as, as Facebook friends. I talk to them all all the time. Oh, that is yeah. awesome. That is it, so it was, cool. it was a great group. You know, the parents were great. The, the kids were, were amazing. You know, they've all grown up. They're, they're very successful. You know, it's, it's, it's wonderful. 
Wow, man. That's so, that is so cool. And again, like I said, that was the very first time I was ever coaching anybody. And I got to learn from some, uh, some good coaches, some, it's fun guys that kind of showed me, Hey, how to work, uh, you know, work with kids, but I couldn't have been blessed with a better group of, of kids on the team because they made it so much fun. Oh, I agree. I agree. They were a great, a great group of kids. <laughs> oh man. Well, well, Todd, you talked about, uh, you know, your kid, your, your son, Andrew, uh, was on that team and, and he went through the program for quite, for quite a while, uh, a proud Gator. I know they, they changed the teams up now and that's all kind of weird, but what can you tell me just about Cary Youth League and what it was like to be a part of that for a little while? You know, I was introduced to Cary by a, a guy I worked with. Uh, his name was Rene Sendejas. His son played Cary and actually went to Rio Hondo Prep. And he told me when Andrew was uh, about five or six, he says, hey, you know, you sound like football because they play tackle football because I didn't think any organization played tackle football at that age. And so I brought him out, and he took to it like getting like a duck to water. Loved it. He was there for uh, four years, I believe, from the uh, C's to the double A's. Um, played all all the sports, and you know, with with him, what we didn't do with Aaron, but with Andrew, he was double dipping. He was actually playing care, and also playing other organizations. So, like during care football season, he was also playing junior all American football, uh, and um, also Glendora soccer. And then. In uh, basketball season, he was playing Glendora Basketball City League. And then during baseball season, he was also playing Little League. And that, you know, that he was able to do both and he really didn't miss much of anything. You know, he got all of his loyalty uh, awards and everything. So he didn't miss much. But, you know, he was just he just wanted to be on teams. And so we let him do it and and care to me care as far as the little guys go. You're never going to find a better organization for teaching the fundamentals to kids. Plus, then when you add in all the other aspect of, you know, the club meetings and the loyalty and, and the, the, you know, the things that the leaders teach them, you're not going to find a better league anywhere, period. And I've been through dozens of leagues myself, you know, either coaching or watching my kids play, you know, city leagues, travel ball, uh, club teams. Kara was, was awesome, in, in, in a word. <laughs> awesome awesome is a, is a good one and i hear that from a lot from people who've been through the program don't get to talk to too many parents necessarily who did it uh with their kids and everything but it, it's just it's so consistent it's so great to hear those things about the program because that's what it's all about i mean family and and the kids just getting uh, introduced to different things and, and sports and i think it's really really well-run program and i gotta ask you you, you just said Andrew, he, he wanted to play on other teams. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I really don't. But, but not everyone does that. We also live in this time now where it seems kids are playing on multiple teams. What can you speak to that as far as from a parenting standpoint, uh, you know, putting kids on multiple teams? Is, is it something you said in your situation, it was something that he wanted. But what can you speak on kids who play on multiple teams at a young age? Well, I see, you know, you run the gamut when you're talking about sports parents. You've got those are in it for the right reasons and those are in it for the wrong reasons. Unfortunately, those who are in it for the wrong reasons are prevalent. They're everywhere. But as far as just my <laughs> personal experience, you know, I told Andrew, look, if you think you can handle this and keep your grades up, you know, Andrew was a straight A student all the way through school, all the, even all the way into law school, you know, he was top of his class. So as long as you can keep your grades up, you can go ahead and do it. I told him, I will never make you play. If you don't want to play, you can stop playing. But if you start, if you start a season, you won't quit. So that, that was the only, our only rules. And so if uh, Aaron or Andrew, you want to play? Yeah, okay, I'll sign you up. 
And then next season come around and you want to play? Yeah, I'll sign you up. You know, and so he wanted to do everything. Even you know, in, in high school, he was a three sport athlete. He played football when he was at Damien. He, he uh, played basketball and ran track. You know, Aaron, on the other hand, was the kid that wanted to specialize. He stopped playing basketball at twelve. He played through care. He started his in C division as well, and only went to only went to A. But that's because. He was started playing club ball. Actually, a parent came to me after one of the Carrier League basketball games and said, "I need your son on my travel team." And I asked Aaron, "Do you want to do that?" And he said, "Yeah." So that kind of pretty much ended our association with Care. That's why I took him out so early. But you know, Aaron at 12 years old, he's like, "Dad, I don't want to play basketball anymore." At 14, I was like, "I'm not playing football anymore." And then he played baseball all the way through high school. And at 18, you know, even though he had been recruited by several schools. Other schools were looking at him, making him all these promises. Hey, I got a starting spot for you, or you're going to be my number one closer. And he just said, you know what, Dad? I'm done. I don't want to play baseball anymore. Broke my heart. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I couldn't tell him, no, you're going to play. But it is what it is. So, you know, he's, he's in college. He's at a school where there's several of his travel ball teammates are there playing. And one of his travel ball coaches, and they've all come to him and said, why aren't you playing? He's like, I just don't want to play anymore. So I guess. I guess yeah. he's got a little bit of bird out. So, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with not wanting to play anymore. I mean, I, as you just said, I mean, he's focusing on his his education, and you know, that's what I see. That, that's a whole other subject with like travel ball, club ball, whatever you want, you know, whatever the proper term is. And, and that's actually where I, I I saw you again later in life, actually umpiring some of some of right. Aaron's games as he was being. He was a, he's quite a pitcher. And he was playing for the the San Gabriel yes. Arsenal, um, you know, and and he ended up playing at Ontario Christian. He, is that he went right? to Damien his first three years, and then his senior year okay. he went to Ontario Christian. Okay, yeah, he was he was a great player, and he put in all this time, I'm sure, on the travel ball teams and everything. But but that's my other thing with I mean that's there's an example there is, I, you seem like your heart was in the right place with with the. Uh, all of your kids. I mean, and I, I shouldn't say seen. You absolutely were. Uh, other there's other parenting, as you've already mentioned, where it seems like they want the kids to to play until they're burned out or play, you know, on all these various teams and everything. And you know, unfortunately, I don't know. I don't know if if it's right or wrong or whatever. You know what I mean? It's just you're you're. That's a very unique situation where Aaron was just said, you know what, I'm I'm, I'm done with it, and and all the power right. to him. And, and yeah, you're right. There's a lot of parents out there for the, you know, with the wrong, the wrong attitudes, the wrong ideas, you know, real quick story. Uh, I had a, a seventh grade basketball team, a club team where I had Andrew and several of the care kids. I had Cody Fabella, I had Cosmo Russell, and then a couple of kids that Andrew had played um, NJB with. And uh, we were able to recruit a couple of other kids. So we put together a pretty good club team. And I had this kid, he was probably just a hair under six feet tall. He was, he was my biggest kid. And his parents were like, oh, he's going to Duke. And then he's going to the NBA. And they kept, you know, kept in my ear. And he was, he was my best player. I mean, he was a, he was a dominant uh, post player. I knew the post because that's what I played in high school. So I was able to teach him all the moves. And he was also going to, um, you know, his private basketball training. And his parents kept, oh, he's going to Duke. He's going to the NBA. And finally, and I shouldn't have said anything. I, I, I regret saying it. But I told the mom, I said, you know, your son, his head, I mean, his legs are full of hair and his voice is deeper than mine. I don't think he's going to grow much more. 
All of a sudden, I was the devil. Oh, how dare you say that about my son? Boom, yanked him <laughs> off my team. Gone, okay? He ended up going to, uh, to high school. I saw him a couple years later. He hadn't grown an inch. And I, you know, I, I was right. I knew, I was like, I don't want to blow, you know, your, your illusion out of the water, but your son's not going to be the six, seven, six, eight kid you, you expect. He's done growing. He's hit his peak. But, you know, all of a sudden, you know, because somehow I ruined their dream, you know, I was the bad guy. You know, she cussed me out in the parking lot, you know, it was bad. I was like, you know what? I shouldn't have said anything, but you know, I didn't. I don't want these kids to have unreasonable expectations themselves. You know, I, I tell them. I, I used to tell mm-hmm. the kids I coach in little league. You know, one in so many kids is, is going to go play high school. Less than that are going to play college. Less than that are going to play pros. No matter what sports. So just work hard and do your best now. Worry about later. Later. You know. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I I find it. You know, seeing so many parents that think everyone thinks their kid's the best. And, and, and as a parent, I'm sure, you know, that's there's a special feeling there. But so many parents, like you just said, Todd, they, they think that the world is only this little city. <laughs> it's like there's a bunch of kids who are over six feet all over this country and right. they're going to keep growing. You know, it's that, you know, with your story. So uh, I think it's great when parents, uh, you know, really motivate and push their kids. I, I think it's a great thing, but uh, you know, at some point it, it's, it's on the kids too. And, and I think it sounds, it sounds from your different experiences as a, not only a father, but as a coach, you know, you, you really were someone that, that got it. And I wish there were more people like you out there. That. Yeah, <laughs> There are some, Oh, I, I learned from some fantastic guys growing up and, and uh, guys that I coached with and coached against. Um, uh, who, who did it the right way, did the right thing. We were all about the kids and all about, you know, it's people say, oh, it's all about having fun. No, no, no. It's not all about having fun. It's about going out there, working, learning, becoming part of a team, understanding commitment, understanding winning and losing and improving yourself, not just athletically, but all around as a person. So it's not just, oh, it's just as long as they have fun. No, no, that's not it. But but then you've got yeah. people that go on the other uh, extreme. Oh, you got to win every game. You got to crush them. You got to stomp on them. You know, one of the things I used to cringe when I was coaching football is parents in the stands screaming, hit somebody, go out there and hit somebody. And I would just look back and look at these people and I'm like, what are you talking about? You know? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. <laughs> I try to tune that stuff out as much as I can. You football game you go to, you'll hear it every game. You got to hit somebody, Johnny. And that's, and you know, that's something I noticed about you going to like Aaron's games, you know, uh, mm-hmm. not too long ago, actually is, yeah. And, and I think that the San Gabriel Valley arsenal really do a good job of this anyway, of, of probably telling the parents, Hey, listen, this is, this isn't, you sit here and rah, rah, this is educational. We're trying to learn. We're trying to compete. Let us, let us do what we're supposed to do. And, and parents like yourself would sit there and you'd observe and see what's going on. And I'm sure you'd have opinions uh, and things there also. But I think well-run programs kind of run themselves and parents that don't need to really North step Arsenal. in too much. And I, I might regret this, but I'm going to put them on blast. Mike Vieira, who runs the Arsenal program. Good dude. I'm you, <laughs> just an awesome guy. I love talking to him. You know, so much insight. And, and, you know, when he tells people, hey, I know every coach, every college coach in America. He's not lying. He's he knows them all. 
But he, he every year, Aaron <laughs> was there for three years. And every year at the very beginning, once the kids came back from their high school program, um, he would have a big parent meeting. And those of us who had been through it understood what was coming, but you still had to be there. It was mandatory. And then the new parents were kind of given the doc- indoctrination. Basically, look, we are your coaches. We're your kids' coaches. You are not. You are to sit in the stands and cheer for your son and cheer for the team and not say a word. And you know what? That's what we did because he wasn't lying. You know, there was there was a little bit of a mini coup on Aaron's team after his freshman year. And there were a couple of kids they wanted to get rid of. So they had – they actually forced these kids to try. Because once you tried out for the team, you were on the team until you quit all the way through high school. But they had a second tryout because there was a couple of parents that were really causing problems. And what they did was they eliminated these kids after that second tryout. And we couldn't understand what was going on. Why are we trying out? You promised us we wouldn't have to try out again. But they did it. But it's because, yeah, these people were <laughs> violating what he said. He meant every word he said. And, and I'm you know, all power to Mike. I think he's a great guy. You know, he he, he helps these kids get move on uh, to schools. And, you know, I, I go on their website and. You know, he'll promote, hey, so-and-so just committed to Cal State Fullerton or to Long Beach State or whatever. So I think he does a great job. But, no, he, he was serious about it, man. Don't don't mess. Leave us alone. Let us do this. Yeah. <laughs> There's, someone's always got to ruin it for everyone else, right? I mean, it's, you can't just, okay, sure thing. I mean, everyone's got an opinion. And it's like, uh, no, and I, and I know that Mike did those things and, and some of the other – you know, coaches over there, uh, Jerry's great guy, uh, you know, all those guys, I mean, they get it and, and they're there to work with the kids. And it's just a very professionally run, uh, travel ball club team. I, I don't know the terms these days, but it's always a pleasure going over there. I always like what they do. Yeah, they were very yeah, well run. That was just one of the teams Aaron was on. We played on several different teams, but our time with Arsenal was, was really fun. Well, we don't want to leave out uh, your, your daughter, uh, Amanda. What can you tell me about uh, what, what she was doing growing up? All your kids, I'm sure, are excellent students. Uh, but, but what, what – uh, she never – did she play sports Early on, or did she, she not? What was kind of her thing? She did a little of the soccer and the, the softball and all that. And then she just got burned out, just wanted to be a student. But when she got to high school, because a girl could run, she got to high school, she um, was a cheerleader and was on a track team and was, as a freshman, was the fastest girl in her school. And so she did that, but she burned out on that. Um, wasn't really too much into athletics. You know, she was more like, you know, I just, I got this and that. And then, of course, she discovered boys, which was, you know, my nightmare. Um, but she's good. You know, she went on and <laughs> her dream was to go to Pepperdine. She went to Pepperdine. She went and got her master's degree at USC. And now she actually works at USC. Wow. Yeah. Man, that's that's awesome. So I so I got to ask you. You said she could run. You mentioned Andrew ran track. I know you're you're uh, you know Aaron's athletic, very athletic himself. But I got to ask you. Okay, where's the speed? The speed where does the I speed no come idea. from? You or your I'm wife? Always slow. You know, I'm I'm, I'm pigeon toed, <laughs> and so when I run, I'm I'm unable to plant my foot and push backwards. I always push out almost like at a forty five degree angle, and I I look goofy when I run, but that was me, you know, I just couldn't run. And you know, Aaron was not really that fast, but Amanda and Andrew, they were sprinters and they made league finals every year in, in, in high school. And I was like, I don't know where that speed's coming from. Cause I'm not fast and my wife's not athletic at all. 
Oh man. Well, I thought I'd ask some, some mysteries yeah. out there or just will never be solved. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, Pepperdine and USC, I mean, uh, I, I believe Andrew went to yes, University yes. of San Diego. Is that correct? USC law school. And I mean, now he's the attorney living up in San Francisco. Oh, well, well, he's, yeah. I'm sure he's got his work cut out for him up there. Uh, <laughs> you all, all three of your kids are going to amazing schools. Uh, you know, uh, just very, very scholarly uh, individuals, it sounds like. And I'm sure that you guys had plenty to do with that just uh, growing up. I, I, I'm no, sure you couldn't no be prouder be of all three of, of them. The three of them. Every once in a while, Aaron kind of pushes my buttons and I want to beat him up, but he's bigger than me, so it's kind of hard. <laughs> but other than that, no, they, the kids are all awesome. <laughs> Oh man, that well, that well, that's incredible. Great stuff. I, I love hearing. Uh, you know, I can't believe people's kids are are like young adults these now, kids, and it's yeah, just you know, these, oh my goodness, kids <laughs> it's that, so hard know, to married, see. They have their own kids. I've got plenty that have gone into the military. I have a, actually have a picture of a kid I coach in Little League with Andrew, um, who went to the army, went to Iraq, and here's a photo of him sitting on Saddam Hussein's throne. You know. Yeah, and I, I, I was like, wow, I gave me oh, goosebumps when I looked at it. I was like, oh, my God, little Tyler, who was you know, my little second baseman, now he's, you know, this big, bad army guy, you know, who helped conquer, you know, Baghdad. Like, wow. <laughs> Man, that, that is, wow. Yeah, wow is right. That's all you can really say. Well, well, Todd, let, let's talk about your career a little bit. You First I, of all, where, where, where did you grow up, first of all? El Monte in 72. Oh. Um, and then uh, went to high school in El Monte, went to a Royal High School, played basketball. Wasn't that great? Wasn't you know? I was a six foot two center, which you know you, you don't really see many of those. But um, <laughs> got out of school, went to um, Mount Sac, wanted to be an airline pilot. Started taking aviation courses, went to get my pilot's license. Found out that I had vertigo. Didn't. Uh, didn't really pan out to become an airline pilot if uh, I would get dizzy doing certain uh, maneuvers. Kind of, you know, <laughs> twisted my wheels a little bit, not sure what to do. And uh, I was working downtown L.A. at the uh, Hall of Records. My father worked for the county. He was the director of document processing, meaning that if you had a home and you, you purchased a home, the deed of trust and the grant deed had to be recorded. And that was his section. He ran that. And, you know, I, he got me a job with a title company down there. And I was just kind of, you know, going through the motions. And I was working with the Almonte Parks and Recreation Department. And, you know, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. I just, you know, my parents, they go be a doctor, go be a lawyer. Well, you know, I got to go to school for that. And I had, you know, I didn't, A, I didn't, you know, <laughs> I didn't take the right career path to begin with because I spent all the time, you know, doing the aviation stuff. And uh, are you paying for college? Because I, I can't afford it. Well, some of the guys I worked with would go down to uh, Alpine Gym in Chinatown, play basketball. And there was a bunch of guys there who uh, I was told were LAPD. So I, I had some thoughts about joining LAPD. So I went and talked to them and I said, oh, no, no, we're not LAPD. We work for the LA County Marshal's Office. And I'm like, well, what's that? He says, well, you know, we're, we're police officers ourselves, but we don't work holidays and weekends. I'm like, hey, sign me up. <laughs> so you know they, they uh, <laughs> i went over to the uh the, the county courthouse which is now the stanley moss courthouse and 
talked to a couple of guys. They got me an application. I filled it out. And uh, this was in March. Uh, it turns out a month earlier, one of their guys in Van Nuys had been in a shooting in a courtroom. A uh, guy came on, tried to take over the court, grabbed a DA. Um, several of the deputy marshals came in with their guns and engaged in a shootout. And one of the guys, Cliff Wofford, who ended up killing the guy, um, took a couple rounds in the stomach. Um, didn't even realize until the gunfight was over, didn't realize he was hit. But he went down and the marshal's officer was like, you know what, we are understaffed. Yeah. So I applied um, like March, April, and I was in the academy in July. That's how quickly they went through my background. So I started the academy at Rio Hondo in wow. July of 1988, graduated in November, and then went and started doing uh, the advanced court stuff, um, learning, you know, courtroom procedures, learning levy crew, learning warrants, uh, those types of things. Started uh, in December working downtown, which is where I met my wife, which is actually a, a great story in and of itself. Um, in 1994, the sheriff's department absorbed us, and I was a deputy sheriff from January 1st, 1994, until my retirement date in December 31st of this past year, 2019. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Quite a journey. And for those... <laughs> Well, two things. We got to get to the uh, meeting your wife story for sure. But so the the L.A. County Marshals. So, I I mean, kind of kind of clear it up for us. You said you were then, uh, you know, went to the sheriff's uh, sheriff deputy after that. But what 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 exactly was the type of things the L.A. County Marshals were were doing that time uh, different from, I guess, regular police work, you know, <laughs> outside kind of, of having the holidays off and such. Municipal courts throughout the county of Los Angeles, they also um, had uh, warrant sections where, you know, courts mm-hmm. would issue a warrant. You don't show up for whatever reason. A judge will issue a warrant. Warrant gets transferred to the warrant section and they go out and find you, arrest you and take you to court. We also did levies, which were if you were to sue somebody and win a judgment and they didn't pay you, you could come to us and say, hi, I want a levy. So we would go to the person's bank if they had a check. We'd go to the bank and say, hey, Joe Smith owes, owes Matt Hirsima $3,000. We're here to collect. Or we would go, they'd say, oh, no, the, he's got this brand new Chevy Camaro. So we'd go out there and knock on the door. Hey, are you Joe Smith? Yeah. We're here for your car, you know. So we take the car, we'd sell it at auction, pay you, and then give him the rest of the proceeds. So that was the types of things that the LA Marshal's office would do. Okay, and, and it, it no longer exists, or was there was well, it there was no more uh, use for it type of a thing, or it just well, kind of well, altogether in the sheriff's now. The sheriff's department ran the superior court, so there was a power struggle between the two associations. Mm-hmm. Um, ALADS, which is the union uh, for the L.A. County Deputy Sheriffs and the DA investigators, is one of probably the two most powerful unions in the state of California, along with the, uh, the Teachers Association. They're able to get uh, the mayor who, oh gosh, I can't remember who the mayor, or the governor, might have been Duke Bajan at the time, to because there was a fight between the two. They each wanted to take over the other one's function. Well, it ended up on the governor's desk and he signed a law saying okay in in la county all of the court functions will be taken over by the la county sheriff's department the marshal's department is no more 
So that's where the transition occurred. Mm, okay. Well, well that's uh, interesting stuff. I that's these are things I didn't necessarily know of, and so I, I was just curious. But uh, okay, well, well, let's get to the, the, you meeting your wife story. I'm sure everyone is. Uh, Okay, so I know um, I'm excited about it. Tell me. Living in El Monte. And uh, in order to get to downtown LA, I would ride the bus in the morning because they get they issued us a bus pass. So if everybody that worked um, law enforcement was issued a, a pass. If you applied for it through, um, it was RTD at the time, um, they would send you a pass. You'd have to take a photo and you could ride the bus for free anywhere. Their whole thing was, you know, if you're in law enforcement, we're giving you a free ride. But if something occurs on the bus, we expect you to take over. You know, there was I was involved once in a, an accident where several people died <laughs> and I had to leave the bus and do run the triage and, you know, coordinate uh. CHP and it was on the freeway. And next thing you know, I got TV cameras on my face. It was crazy. But <laughs> that's a whole nother story. But um, so at the same time, my wife, who I did not, had not met, uh, was working at L.A. City Hall. And I had seen her. I had just gotten out of a long relationship, and it, was, it ended badly, and so did she. Neither one of us had any desire whatsoever to start a new relationship. But I, I saw her one day. I'm like, oh, she's cute. So one day we're on the bus, and I remember it was May 1st, 1989. I don't know why I remember that date, but I remember that date. And it had been raining a lot in the city. Those old RTD buses leaked bad. And so... Have you been in those buses? You know what I'm talking about? They have the lights up top. Well, one of the yeah. lights was had filled with water. And I was sitting on the seat that sits sideways over the rear wheel. And she was right across from me. The bus is going, and we stopped at um, Cal State LA. And as we stopped, all that water just spilled all over me. I was drenched. And I jumped up. And the guy next to me also jumped up because he got wet, too. And she started laughing. So the first words I ever said to my future wife was, hey, that's not funny. And she's like, yes, it was. <laughs> and so I kind of I moved over to where she was and just, hi, hello, how you doing? You know, well, the funny thing is at the next stop, which was the USC Medical Center, the lady that was sitting next to her got up. And I'm thinking to myself, awesome. Now I can sit down next to this girl and we can start talking. Little did I know that out of the corner of my eye, the other dude that got wet was also angling for that chair. And you ever see a, well, I know you've seen been around sports a long time, you, those hockey hip checks into the, into the boards. Well, that's what I did. That's what I did to this dude. I hit him and he went stumbling towards the back of the bus. He's like, ah, no, dude, I've been waiting for this opportunity. This is my turn. So. He was mad, but, you know, he looked at me, gave me a look, but I was a lot bigger than him, so there wasn't much he was going to do about it, you know. So we sat down, we started talking, and next thing you know, we started going to lunch, and then next thing I know, hey, let's get married. And so, I mean, that was, that was it in a nutshell. <laughs> but because of that, you know, it gave me Andrew, it gave me Amanda, it gave me Aaron. So, And then by, by uh, way of that, I met you. So it all worked out perfectly. <laughs> All, all because of a, of a well-executed hip check. I mean, it, <laughs> life could have gone completely the other way, maybe. It's just these little it's moments that, uh, that... You think about it, you know, <laughs> what if I hadn't gotten on that bus? What if she hadn't gotten on that bus? What if I, there was no water in the, in, in the lights? It's just, to me, you know, it's just these little things in life where, you know, you, there's so many paths and you go down this one. So, 
Yeah. And I, and I got to assume Todd that, uh, that wasn't the last time you told her, Hey, that's not Um, funny. (laughs) Yeah. um, I think it's kind of a constant thing now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's great stuff. I mean, that's a, yeah. A tale as old as time, as they say, (laughs) just a a chance meeting. That is great stuff. Oh man. Well, well, uh, well, Todd, unfortunately there's some, there's some pretty crazy things going on these days and um, you know, law enforcement, is under a lot of scrutiny. Um, you know, there's there's been a lot of different things that we'll touch on here, but I, I first want to go back to, or since we're kind of in our timeline here, you just mentioned with the eventually uh, going into the sheriffs and everything, but you were in LA, you were in Los Angeles at the time of the 1992 riots. I mean, I think fortunately this, well, our current situation has far exceeded that, but that's just from a civilian standpoint. What can you tell me about maybe some of your experiences in the riots in 92? Okay. The 92 riots, when, when uh, it went down, you know, they, they brought um, the trial was in my, in the criminal courts building where I was assigned and the judge and his bailiff at the time, Jerry Cummins, good dude. They ended up taking the trial out to, um, uh, Riverside County. Or okay. Riverside. No, 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 no. Ventura. Ventura County. And the day that the verdict came down, I actually was not at work. I was at home because we were moving. We were moving to a, this townhome we just uh, rented in El Monte. So I wasn't home. I was moving and I had the TV on and I saw the riot go off. I, you know, I saw the Reginald Denny get beaten. Get beaten. Um, I saw, you know, fires going on. Called a couple of my friends that I knew were downtown. Hey, what's going on? And they were telling me these, all the stuff that was happening. I go to work the next day, and the the crowd had started at Parker Center, the old LAPD headquarters, had flipped over their guard booth and headed towards um, the Hall of Justice. Well, all the deputy sheriffs that were in the Hall of Justice came out and pushed them away. Well, they went over to the courthouse, which was only guarded at the time by two security guards and two deputy sheriffs that were there late. Uh, actually, uh, no, three of them, three that were there late. Well, they broke in and set fires to the, the metal detectors. And I got to work the next day and the buildings all boarded up and I got people coming in on jury duty, asking me what to do. Like, I can go home. <laughs> There's nothing for you here. <laughs> and, you know, they, they told us, Hey, we're going on 12 hour shifts, seven days a week. You know, if you got plans this weekend, they're canceled. Get your helmets, get your ride gear, <laughs> assemble outside. And so they put us outside. We were on perimeter duty in case the mob came back. Um, we had people on the rooftops. Uh, we had people in some of the other buildings that some of their courthouses in, in downtown who were actually going out and actually arresting looters. You know, where I was, there really weren't that many um, businesses. Mm-hmm. So there, we didn't have that, that problem. It was mostly government buildings. But, you know, some of my, my friends were down there, you know, going with LAPD and CHP and chasing guys down and arresting them for looting. Um, that was pretty much it. It was it was it was hairy for for a while, you know, and stand out there in that heat with all all that gear on. You know, it's it's not fun. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I just I can't even fathom what these guys are going through right now. You know, we, we, we did some um training regarding that a few years ago at Dodger Stadium. They had us out there on the asphalt for a good part of a day and we were going through 
controlling crowds and arrest teams and things like that. And like apparently it, this past March, they did it again at Irondale Speedway. So they're prepared. I mean, we're, our, our department, at least I know, is ready for, for anything that jumps off. So you know, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Yeah, and and you know, I, I it's it's so the country seems so divided right now. I hate seeing it. Um, it seems we can agree on only a couple things, but not other things. And uh, one thing that just truly bothers me is that we can't seem to agree that uh, the violence, the rioting, the looting that is that is wrong. I would say most people can say that, but there's still a fraction of the country that says, well, you know. Everyone had this coming. We tried to do this peacefully. Uh, I just, I, unfortunately, there's the peaceful protests at times spill into, or, or people who maybe who want to cause damage, they just tag along. I don't know exactly how it all happens, but people that want to do harm, uh, they, they find a way to do it. And, and unfortunately, it takes away from maybe some other, other peaceful protesters. But what can you say just in general about because uh, I'm sure you've had to be be around maybe some other protests uh, before and not, maybe not ones that were violent, but just what can you, what are your general thoughts on uh, what's going on as far as protesting and rioting these days? Well, I think everybody can agree on the fact that what the officer in Minnesota did was wrong, absolutely mm-hmm. wrong, that he's going to burn and he deserves a burn. It, 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 there's no excuse. I understand techniques for arrest. I understand, you know, I've dealt with people who don't want to get handcuffed, and it's hard. It's really hard to handcuff somebody who doesn't want to be handcuffed. It's really hard to put somebody into a car who doesn't want to get into a car. It's hard. So you, you do the things until resistance stops, and then you back off. You still keep your guard up, but you back off. And what, what the officer did, laying on this guy who's not moving, who's basically begging for his life, um, that was horrible. I mean, just watching it, it, it just... And I am pro-law enforcement, obviously, being, you know, my background. And I, I have argued with people over certain things, like the Michael Brown thing that jumped off. You know, you can't convince me that Michael Brown was murdered by a police officer. Michael Brown died because of Michael Brown. Yes. But this, this goes well beyond anything that, that this officer did. And I'm not sitting here saying, hey, all cops are good. They're not. I worked with some guys that I wouldn't trust them on my front yard. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's ugly, but... Protest, on the other hand, Matt, protest is a, a protected part of the United States Constitution. We have the right to free speech. We have the right to assemble. We have the right to address our grievances to the government. And if by doing it with their feet, that's awesome. You know, my parents marched in protest of the Vietnam War in the 60s. Um, they actually, my mom would carry me. I was a little baby. She would carry me. So I've, I guess technically I've been part of, I was part of the Vietnam War protests. You know. <laughs> And it's good. And sometimes it changes attitudes and sometimes it changes society. The, the, the things that Martin Luther King did, I mean, will resonate forever. He changed lives. He changed attitudes. And he didn't do it by burning anything down. He did it the right way. He did it the, the Gandhi way. The, the you know, peaceful protest works. Now, what's going on here, I think the vast majority of the people out there are peaceful. They're angry. Um, they're lashing out you know the police officers are taking so much verbal abuse out there and 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 just things that they don't deserve to deal with but as long as people aren't swinging at them throwing things at them burning stuff breaking stuff 
have at it. You know, I've been out there. I've been cussed out. I've been called names. We're we're conditioned to deal with it. And that's then the police academy. They they stress you out to the point where like you know, hey, if you can't deal with this, you shouldn't have this job. So these people are lashing out verbally, and I'm cool with that. Believe me, I've been called every name in the book. <laughs> but don't hit me, don't kick me, don't spit on me. Okay, it's you're going to get a response. I'm a human being. I'm not a robot. Yeah. But that's neither here nor there. But when you're talking about the rioters and looters, you know, I think what you're getting is protesters are, are forming up. And you're getting people infiltrating the group, the agitators who are going to do things, break windows, light fires. And then also joining the group are your thieves who waiting for the, the agitators to break the windows and kick the doors in and light the fire so they can run in and grab all the stuff and take off. And then when the police say, and I have, I've had a lot of arguments with people about this too. Oh, they're arresting people that you know are staying behind when the police tell them to leave. And they're arresting people who are past curfew. Yeah, at that point, the protesters are no longer legally protesting. Now they're violating the law. If a law enforcement officer gets on a bullhorn or on a PA and says, my name is Lieutenant Jones of the so-and-so police department, I declare this an unlawful assembly. The Supreme Court has ruled that at that point, anybody who ignores that is now violating the law. Some people don't understand that. Some people, some good friends of mine on Facebook don't understand that. They get all upset when I tell them that. But yes, yeah. now at this point, they've gone from peaceful protest to protesters to unlawful protesters. Luckily, once that's announced, most of these people will leave. The agitators will still they'll leave, too, because they don't want to be caught and be identified. Your thieves will stay behind until basically law enforcement shoes them away or a store has been completely gutted. You know, so that that's what we're seeing now. You've got you've got different groups with different mindsets and different agendas. So. No, that's that's a pretty uh, I mean, that's a pretty clear picture there of uh, from being on the ground in that scenario. Mm -hmm. I, I got to say that what's really frustrating is that. Uh, and, and I think it's a big part, you know, of course, um, the media media involvement really pushes this. But as soon as you start seeing cops swing or uh, use the tactics that they are trained to use, everything in, in that scenario, everyone starts to question and be like, look at it. Here comes the, the police. They're just swinging at everyone. They're shooting rubber bullets at everyone for no reason. And it's like, no, you have reached a point where, like you just said, Todd, you make the announcement. You, now you need to do what you told. You had your chance. You had your opportunity, right, to do everything lawfully. And once that either ends or <laughs> you guys say hey, this is a, a the term you use, a, an unlawful, uh, unlawful assembly, unlawful assembly. Uh, it's not just you guys saying, "Oh, you guys gathered here. You got to go." It's there's a reason, a reaction from you guys based off of things you've either witnessed or have uh, have re have acted on, on against you guys, right? Right. Or oftentimes it's, it's, it can be something as, as innocent as they've taken out a permit. The permit expires at 5 p.m. So at 5 p.m., you're done. You got to go. You know, I was in mm -hmm. the Bahamas back in 2018, and uh, it's funny. The cruise ship, as we were pulling in, they, they said, oh, there's going to be a protest at the parliament building. Please do not go there. They say it's going to be peaceful, but please do not go there. So, you know, I, we got off the ship and we went over to Atlantis and hung out there. And we came back and we were shopping. And, you know, me being me, 
I'm going to go check out the protest. So I walked over there to, um, um, there was a park there. The parliament building is beautiful. I wanted to see it. You know, it's nice, coral colored. It's, they've got some old, you know, 1700s cannons there. And the police officers there are dressed in the, you know, the, the all white with the big caps and everything. I wanted to see that. So I walked over there and sure enough, there is this big protest. And you can go on my Facebook page, Matt, and you can see the photos. I, I took several photos of the protest. Oh, my goodness. Peaceful as can be. And they told the people, you can protest until 2 p.m. So I was talking to some of the people and I was actually asking, hey, you know, is there anything the United States has done that to start this? Or like, no, 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 this is a, a, a protest against the value added tax that the government's trying to impose on us. And okay, cool. And then we started talking and they were actually happy I was there talking to them. And like, you know, usually, you know, other people ignore things like this, but no, I said, no, I'm curious. You know, I, I love this stuff. I went over, I talked to a couple of the cops, you know, I told them who I was and, and I took a photo with a couple of guys. <laughs> But at two o'clock, a couple of police officers showed up and they had, you know, they were more gear, you know, like full on, like not riot gear, but more like tactical gear. And they walked up and they said, okay, people, it's two o'clock, it's time to go. And people said, okay. And they turned around and they started walking out and they were hugging the police officers and their police officers were walking with them and they're having a good old time. And that worked out beautifully. That was an awesome protest. You know, I said, you know, if this was the United States, that building would be on fire right now. <laughs> you know? And uh, that that was a, a awesome pro. It was an awesome thing to see. The protests wow. happening now. Yeah, many of them. There was a protest in Glendora the other day, and although there were a few agitators that showed up to actually to to talk nonsense to the crowd until the police intervened, shooed them away. You know, it was a they walked, they marched, they they few people spoke, and then when it was time to go, it was time to go. Everybody left. No burning, no looting, no windows broken. Um, you know, no injuries, no arrests. It was it was a good thing. So I I think protest is great, but you got to do it right. If you're not going, you're going to change hearts and minds. You can't go in and burn somebody's store down. They're not going to be on your side. Trust me. You know? Yeah. I, I think I think the peaceful people who are doing it, they are angry at <laughs> the looters and such because those are the people that get their protests maybe shut down earlier. Exactly. Those are the people. Yeah. Yeah. And they give them a bad name also because they see them amongst their crowd. So, right. you know, but so it's, it is a great thing, as you said, you know, uh, and, and when, when it all comes down to it, well, I guess one other thing I wanted to ask you, you're starting to see some new tactics with law enforcement. I've seen a few law enforcement organizations, uh, county sheriffs of different places. They've, uh, maybe marched with some of the protesters. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen some law enforcement uh, officers take a knee with some uh, protesters. Uh, can you comment on any of that? I mean, it, to me, it's very much like guys are, guys are trying to show new things, show, Hey, uh, we have a job to do, but we hear what you guys are saying type of a situation. Right. The, the, you know, a lot of that started, uh, a while back with what they called community-oriented policing, or the sheriff's probably calls it the cops team, where people would actually, you're, you're going back to the old ways, and you're on a footbeat. You're talking to the people in the neighborhood. You want to know who they are. They want, they, want, they want them to know you by your first name. They want to know that you are a, a, a valued resource if they have a problem. And so it's kind of that same type of uh, situation where it's like, okay, you know what? We are one community. 
And so on, so often not, and you know, I'll, I'll say this in the academy. I mean, they pound into your head. It's you versus them, you versus them. Some people don't understand that. I understood that. I understand when you say it's you versus them, it's me versus the bad guys. But some people say, think it's you versus everybody in the entire community. And that's not the case. So I think academies have gone away from those teachings and police agencies have gone away from that type of mantra where, you know, hey, do it to them before they do it to us. So you want to form communities and partnerships. It doesn't work everywhere. But I know a lot of these agencies are trying. And so I think that's kind of that same type of mentality is like, you know what? We're with you. We're suffering with you. We agree with you. You want to hug it out? We'll hug it out. You know, you want us to walk with you? We'll walk with you. Um, the taking anything, I, I, it's not something I would have done, but I get it. I understand what, why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it is what it is. You know, attitude, like you said, attitudes change. You win, and, and you change with the times. So if you have to change, you have to change. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think people should look at, at uh, cops who don't want to do that as like they are boycotting the situation or these cops understand more than these cops do. I just think, you know what, that's that's a tactic they decided to use. And I think I saw it even in Glen- the Glendora protest that you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, you know, so whatever we got to do to, <laughs> uh, you know, bring this to the table and, and maybe make things better because the relationship i should say the 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 police criminal relations sometimes in the police community relations i think that's where we're starting to lose it and and you talked right there about being in the community and and so i this is what i want to ask you about that there are communities there are areas that do not like law enforcement Uh, i i don't think it has to do with a specific race a specific group of people. I just think there's some rough areas that they look at cops maybe as, uh, I don't know, intruders. I, I don't know. What can you tell me about the relationship with the community that maybe uh, sees you guys as officers in a negative light? Well, you know, you, you got to do your job. And, and for me, it was, it was kind of a strange thing, you know, being, being biracial, you know, my father was black, my mother is white. And, uh, going out there and, and having people look at me like, what's wrong with you? Why are you a cop? You should be with us, you know, or, or, oh, you're, you're, you know, you're just a white guy, you know, and it's, uh, what are you talking about? You know, I'm just here because I'm supposed to be here and I'm not here to harm anybody. I'm not here to, to, you know, take anybody to jail that doesn't need to go to jail, but you know, you're, you're going to deal with it. There's going to be people that doesn't matter. You can talk to them to your blue in the face about, Hey, I'm not your enemy. And they're still going to think you're their enemy. Some people have been conditioned to believe that. And, and you, you, we aren't going to win that battle. That battle has to start in the home. And that, that, that battle is being waged by some and not by others. There are people who teach their kids cops are bad. Uh, other races are bad. Um, these people over here are bad. The people who have money are bad. The people who go to that store are bad. The people who drive that car are bad. It's what you're taught in the home, what it boils down to. I think that has a lot to do with a lot of uh, issues. And unfortunately, I don't think there's enough people that want to look internally at, you know, what, where a lot of these issues stem from. We just want to point the finger and, you know, you know, it's such a touchy subject, but, you know, I will ask you this. I think 
First off, I think police officers around the country, any law enforcement, as soon as there is a unfortunate situation where there's loss of life from a suspect, uh, you know, I know a lot of times it's, it's, it's right and justified, uh, and that still isn't enough for some people. Whenever that happens, whenever an officer is forced to pull the trigger, he, they didn't have, he didn't do that in this case, as we all agree on what Mr. Floyd was completely unacceptable and, and not a tactic that is, um, that is, that is used by, by a regular law enforcement. But anytime there's loss of life, I got to imagine that law enforcement across the country are now concerned and on edge because they know that they have a target on their backs now more than they do in every, in every day of their life. So, I mean, when a situation, I don't even want to talk, it's hard to talk about this situation because this one we all agree was just so horrible, but anytime there's an officer involved shooting or um, there's been a few of them over the years and a lot of situations where people disagree on it, but, but just from a law enforcement, law enforcement don't want, don't want people to die because they know that obviously makes their lives quite difficult afterwards. I got to imagine. Well, it's, it's not, not just the, the, the aftermath. I mean, it's, it's, it, well, I'm sorry, it is the aftermath, but it's not just how the public's going to perceive us. It's you're scrutinized no matter what you do. Um, <laughs> a lot of guys I know worked a lot of years of patrol and couldn't wait to get out and go into the courts or go back into the jails because everything you do in the field is scrutinized and everything you do is liability. You're going to get sued for this. You're going to get sued for that. You're going to get a complaint for this. You're going to get um, days off or suspended for that. You're going to get fired if you do that. You know, I worked with a, actually I used to work out with one of our commanders and every day he'd come in and say, yep, fired three deputies today. Oh, today was a good day. I only fired one guy. And for just the, <laughs> Stuff that doesn't even relate. I mean, we, 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 our department, you know, if, man, if you, if you got into an argument with your neighbor and you looked over his fence and gave him the finger, whatever, move on with your life. If I had done that as an active duty deputy sheriff and it got back to my supervisor, I was going to do a couple weeks off without pay. You know, so there's, we, we worry about everything. Everything we do is scrutinized. When you have to get into your holster and pull your gun and fire, we're taught to shoot to kill, but none of us want to do that. I was lucky. I, I drew my gun out of my holster four times in my career. I never shot anybody, never shot anyone. The only time I ever shot my gun was on the range every three months to qualify. But I know some people who have been involved with shootings and some of them take it like, yeah, yeah, I just shoot a guy once, you know, it's, it sucked, but oh, well. And, and I know a couple of the guys that are just to this day, they're haunted by it. And the worst guy, I mean, the guy that, that to me that was just, this guy's career was crushed because he fired and hit one of his own guys. Oh. This, hap this happened uh, at the Motel 6 in Hacienda Heights probably about 10 years ago. They were serving a warrant. Guy came out with a shotgun. They, these guys were coming up either side of the stairs. One guy fired, hit the guy with the shotgun twice, but his third round struck one of his partners and killed him too. And he, this guy's a shell of himself. You know, I saw him maybe about five, six years ago and he wouldn't, he couldn't even look me in the eye. So it's, you know, killing somebody is not something that any of us take lightly. Um, and if it's, you know, you're going to be fighting your own internal personal demons 
let alone what the department feels or what the press feels or what the public feels or what the DA is going to do or the Attorney General of the United States is going to do. You've got to fight that battle inside yourself. So I don't think the majority of these shootings, especially the ones that people are so concerned about that because the other individual ended up not armed, I don't think any of these guys took it lightly. I think they made a calculated decision based upon the factors that were um, presented to them. And in some cases, they were wrong. And you can Monday morning quarterback it all you want. They were wrong. If they're going to suffer the consequences, they do. Most of these things come back, you know, based upon the, um, the factors involved, what the officer was experiencing, the, the light, you know, what the light conditions, was it windy, was it rainy, was it, you know, was there, was there shadows, you know, the officer, to the best of his knowledge, did what he was trained to do. Even if in the case that he's wrong, he did based upon what he knew, he did right. All the factors around say, no, he was wrong, but he didn't, wasn't aware of these factors. So, I mean, I, I, I hope that answers your question. I, I, I did it the best of my, I, that I could mm-hmm. without really, you know, no, it was, it, too, too, too deep into it, but, you know. No, it, 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 I mean, it's, that is stuff that you got to hear from the actual people that have been in those situations. I think anytime I mean, let's be honest. Anytime a a black person dies at the hands of the police, it is a major story. Whether it should be or not, uh, it is. And I, I, any loss of life, I think is 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 terrible. I mean, it's 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 really tough for you guys to be put in those situations. But I hate this narrative, Todd. That cops just are hunting down black people. They don't care. They're just going to shoot them and then figure it out later. I don't see that as a civilian. Uh, I know I'm not in some of these different neighborhoods. Um, you've been in law enforcement a long time and sure you had situations, like you said, of partners you disagree with, but I mean, what can you speak, speak on to that, that this narrative of, of uh, cops just want to go rough up uh, people of color? I would say, on the surface, there's really very little basis in reality for that. Um, I, I do know a, a few guys who I would say the opposite about. You know, before I even got this job, I was playing on a slow pitch softball team, and uh, one of the guys on the team who I didn't really know, he was a friend of a friend. Um, they say, "Hey, he's an LAPD cop." You know, okay, cool. And he's this big Italian dude with kind of like a New York accent and, and basically a New York attitude. And one of the guys asked him, hey, uh, what's it like, man? He goes, oh, man, it's cool. We get to go beat up N-words all day. And he said this just just flew out of his mouth. And a couple people looked at him and looked at me, and I looked at him like, excuse me? Oh, I'm sorry, bro. I'm, I'm, I'm just messing around. Uh. And it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> there was some reality there. I know that this guy was probably one of those heavy-handed idiots. But... <clears throat> I'm telling you, 99% of us, Matt, we just want to go start our shift, put our uniform on, go to briefing, head out to your assignment, do your job, you know, try to make as many people happy as you can. That's what I did, you know, and at the end of your shift, take off your uniform, put it in your locker, say your goodbyes, head home and go see your family. 
That's all we want. Yeah. And then make sure you, you pay me on the 15th and the 30th, okay? <laughs> that's what I want. That's just, I wanted to go to work, do my job, and come home to my family. And that's what many, I mean, just the vast majority of these guys, that's all they care about. This is a good job. Um, uh, if you're an adrenaline junkie, you can find positions where your adrenaline is spiked all day long. If you um, are looking to help people, there are different positions where you're going, you know, if you're dealing with, you know, victims of rape victims or child molestation victims or, or, you know, if you're just a number of things, you want to be the guy on the ATV riding on the beach, you know, well, good luck with that. You got to know somebody to get that job. But, you know, there's guys that do that. And, you know, the, the arrow guys that are, I'm friends with all these guys, because they used to work overtime over at the courthouse with me. Um, you know, they love it. These guys all went in the military, learned how to fly choppers, came to the sheriff's department. And now they're flying choppers again. That's where it's a job. It's a great job. It's a fantastic job. It's a camaraderie. You're working with a lot of good people, some bad, but you know, a lot of good people. Um, and, and you're, if you really like the work, the work's out there. When, uh, when the, the, you know, what hits the fan, you know, I, you know, you rally around each other and you, you band together and you, you take care of business. When one of us is dirty, you know, I had a, I worked with a guy who, in order to feed his steroid habit, decided he was going to knock over jewelry stores. No, no lie, dude. This is a deputy sheriff who was knocking <laughs> over jewelry stores to feed his steroid habit. And the reason he got caught is he was he had this his girlfriend bought him this fancy cowboy hat, and he ended up leaving it behind at one of the stores. And they traced the hat back to her, and she right away dimed him off. Oh no, no, that's him, and I had no part of it. So you know, he's he's still in prison. You know, <laughs> you know. So there's there's some bad dudes. There's there's so, I'm not gonna say we're all awesome. There's some bad dudes, but most of us are, are good people. And I would say the majority of everyone believes that deep down. They said, you know what? Yeah, they don't speak for those actions. Don't speak for all cops. But unfortunately, there's a lot of going on out there. Of they want these so-called uh, one percenters <laughs> that are in law enforcement. They want better practices in place where those types of people either don't get in law enforcement or they are removed from law enforcement. I mean, is there, is there a way to do that, Todd, or oh. is it just something that just over time, I don't know, does it, what's the, what would that process be like to find those guys sooner and get rid of them? Well, like I said, there are mechanisms in place, you know, that the commander used to work out with, that was his job to go through and find the guys that weren't doing the right thing and get rid of them. That was a mandate from, from my old boss who, ironically enough, is in prison himself, Leroy Baca. You know, he's in federal prison for the, the FBI caper thing that, that he pulled off. Um, but his thing was, yeah, we need to weed out the bad guys. And so I'm telling you, every, every quarter, um, the department would put out a list that was not available for public use or the press. It was just for us, internal. And it wouldn't name names or employee numbers, but it would say, okay, this deputy got 60 days suspension for this. This deputy was terminated for this. This this deputy was, was terminated for this. This deputy is facing prosecution for this. So we're doing it. But, you know, you can't be all, everywhere at once. And if there's going to be some bad actors, they're going to hide and commit their capers. Or you might have a guy that's been straight as an arrow for 20 years and all of a sudden, I've had enough. I'm done. You know, I, 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 I need to start doing something else. I need to. I'm going to I'm going to take out my anger and all the BS I've put up with for 20 years from this sergeant and this lieutenant and that that person over there and this shopkeeper. I'm done. And next car I pull over, if this guy mouths off, I'm going to knock this, his teeth in. 
is that right? No, it's not right. But, you know, you, you can't always find these guys until they snap, you know? So we're doing it. it. No, that, that's a good point. I mean, you don't, if a guy has a, a track record, that's one thing. I mean, you gotta, like you're saying, there's people who are looking at those things daily to try to uh, really polish up the department and make sure that uh, things are going smoothly. But uh, like you said, there may be a guy who just, all right, it's his first time. And it, yeah, it, it's a bad, bad result. Uh, I, I, it is comforting to know that there is at least a process of, you know, monitoring them. And, and when guys do cross the line that, that they are, uh, they're, they're dealt with. And I think, when we really look at it from everyone, everyone involved in all of this, the entire country, that's all people really want. And I don't think people are aware of these that you're talking about. I mean, is that, is that also in uh, that was, that was a sheriff's, but is that also in all, all forms of law enforcement? Really? I, I can't speak to that. I don't know. I just know that we okay. do that. You know, I, I argue with, I have a, a close friend and he's, he's like a brother to me. We were friends since third grade, went to high school together. He took off, went to the Marines. Um, after high school and we lost track until Facebook came around and now he's like an incredibly successful businessman. He constantly tells me, Oh, you guys never weed out the, the bad guys. I'm like, yeah, we do. We, we do. We did. I don't know about any other department, LAPD, Long Beach, you know, those, those, they have their own way of doing things, but I know at the sheriff's department, no, we, they've told deputies you're fired, you know, and it's like, well, I didn't do anything. Well, okay, fine. You can go to civil service and try and get your job back. For right now, you're fired. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's, that was us. I don't, I can't speak to anybody else doing that. Okay. No, I mean, it, I, I can imagine there's similar practices. I mean, uh, but, but that, I mean, that, that is good. I mean, the public should know these things. And, and unfortunately they don't because if nothing happens, what does the public care if a cop gets fired? They're, they don't even know. It's like, that's not even news. But if they know what he did, obviously then it's like oh wait what okay now he's fired like it's all sometimes the media and the stories that are that are pushed really drive a narrative and and unfortunately i don't i don't think we're in a great time right now for all that no yeah it's so unfortunate because it is beyond (laughs) incredibly biased and there are people who look at a screen and they believe every detail and I'm just not that way. I, I can't. I can't stomach the news hardly at all because I know that it's it's uh, it's so agenda driven, and, and it's it sickens me because there's a lot of injustice going on out there that is not being reported on because it's not uh, att- you know attractive to viewers, and and that's sad. That is true. Very true. I, w- I want to ask you this uh, about as we'll kind of wrap it up here soon, but. I think you made mention of this before we talked about the George Floyd situation and, and the officers who were standing there watching what uh, the other officer did to George Floyd. Are your experience, do they police each other in those types? Obviously it wasn't in that scenario, but when there is confrontation and maybe some, uh, some tactics that need to be used Do police officers, cops, do they police each other and say, Hey dude, that's enough. Or like you see something happening, maybe, Ooh, this isn't going to end well. I need to step in. Do, do, do you, any of your, um, 
practice amongst law enforcement? Well, you know, I will say this, just like in every other aspect of, of human life, some will, some won't. I myself have stepped in once when I saw one of our guys crossing the line to the point where after I separated the two, I walked over and grabbed a, a complaint form and handed it to the guy and said, if you want to fill out a complaint, I'll take it up the chain for you. And he didn't do it, but yeah, I mean, it, it does happen where it's kind of like, all right, that's enough, you know, back off. And I've seen it. I, like I said, I've, I've done it one time with another deputy and then I ignored the orders of a sergeant who asked me to do something that I told her I was not willing to do because it did, the situation didn't call for it. She threatened to write me up. I told her, go ahead. I dare you. She didn't do it. But, and I've seen it myself with um, other deputies who have, you know, there's something jumps off. Somebody's starting to get a little too pissed off. And it's like, all right, all right, we got this. I'll take over. I will take over the rest of this for you. You go over there and have a seat and relax, have, have a water or something. Okay, let me, I'll take care of this. So I've seen that happen many times, but there are some guys that won't do it. They're scared. They, they don't want to be ostracized by, by the, the guys back at the station or back in the, in the, in the locker room. Um, they maybe don't feel like, you know, this person who's doing it is a veteran and I'm a new guy. And what the hell do I know? I can't tell him anything. He knows what he's doing. So I guess he's doing the right thing. Um, the four, the three guys that stood around, and I, I'm hearing some things that one of the guys told him, Hey man, I'm not getting any pulse. We need to put this guy on his side. And, and the, the one guy who I know his name met, but I won't say it. Okay. That's, how, that's, how, that's how, how much I feel about this guy. How, um, um, he told him, Hey, he's, there's no pulse, man. We need to roll him over on his side and, and start some, some, uh, you know, checking him out, making sure he's okay. And this idiot was like, no. You know, so what do you do? He, he's he's the the guy. I don't know if he was the veteran of the group or if he was the uh, the handling officer who who you know when you have a situation you have first person on scene becomes the handling officer and he's in charge until somebody of rank shows up. So if he's the handling officer and in charge, everything he says goes. And if he tells these guys back off, you know, maybe they don't feel you know I don't have the authority to challenge him right now. Me, on the other hand, I don't know. I don't think I would. Dude, you know, I got no pulse. This guy's dead. Get your ass off, and we need to start CPR. You know, that would yeah. be me. And that would have been a lot of people, but some other people would be too, I, I don't know. I don't want to rock the boat here. So it's hard to say the, the mindset of these three guys. Apparently, if I heard this now, they've been charged. Uh, I think they're going to be hard-pressed to get a conviction on any of them. And at first, I thought they are going to be hard-pressed to get a conviction on the first guy until I saw more and more of the video. You know, the first blurb I saw was 20 seconds. You know, I was like, okay, he's on a guy for 20 seconds. That's not going to kill him. But now I saw more and more and more because you never get the full story with these videos. You always get cleverly edited clips. But seeing more and more of the situation, yeah, this dude was wrong. But uh, the culpability of these other three guys, I don't know. I mean, the DA is going to have to make a case. And present it to a jury. The jury is going to have to. Twelve people are going to have to agree. Yes. So I I don't know. But what the short of that? Did they do the right thing in the street? I have no idea. You know, they they probably should have intervened, Matt. But I don't know what their mindset was. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> it was. It's just such a disturbing video all around. And you're right. At first, it was. Uh, it was. It was uh, just a, a short clip, and then. And I saw how long it was and it's like, oh, oh, there's no justification here. Right. Uh, 
And, and I think the entire country felt that way. So I, I, I really hope that um, there's some answer here. I think people want like an instant fix. And I don't think that is uh, realistic at all, <laughs> unfortunately. And uh, it's just going to take a lot from everybody. I mean, everyone involved here, you can point your fingers at the police all you want, but you know, like we already talked about, there's other factors. It's not uh, always about just a bad apple either. It's about finding those guys sooner. There's so many elements that go into this. And while we're, everyone's trying to figure all this out, uh, we got people that want to just go burn buildings at, you know, and riot. And, and that's just so insane. I, it's got to stop. Well, you know, the, the people, the, their emotions start running crazy and they don't think about what they're doing. They don't think about the situation. I mean, was it even about race? I don't know. I mean, there was the men are of different races, the, the, the handling officer and, and the victim, the individual who passed away, Mr. Floyd, were of different races. Yes. But did that happen because of that? I don't know. I th- mm-hmm. I'm thinking likely not. Likely that had nothing to do with it other than the fact that he decided he was going to take down this dirt bag and, and, you know, because he was committing a crime and you made me come over here and, and, and put handcuffs on you and you don't want to get in my car. So fine. You're going to get on the ground and you're going to sit there until I decide to let you up. Mm-hmm. That was the cop an a-hole or was he a racist? I think it points more to him being an a-hole, but regardless, he murdered a man. The man happened to be of a different race certain people, members of that race feel oppressed and, and that the police hate them and want to kill them all. Like you said, that they're randomly shooting and hunting these guys, which they're not. But some people believe that. And perceptions are people's reality. Reality is not reality. Perceptions are reality. So that's what they perceive. Oh, my goodness. It's happening again. Um, I follow a lot of uh, people related to USC football on Twitter. The guys that play there now, the guys that used to play there and I mean, universally, these guys all jumped in. Oh, yeah, it's obviously because of race. Um, it's what they perceive. And so this is where this is why what's happening is happening. And, and it's got to end. These, these, you have to understand, but attitudes have to end. You can't look at color and race and think everything has to do with racism. On the other hand, the people who are committing acts because of an individual's race you know, they need to be found out and stopped and taken care of themselves because that is, you know, that's horrible. And being biracial myself, I've experienced racism from white people and black people. And the attitudes are always, you know, oh, you're different from me. So I'm going to, you know, not trust you, not like you. Uh, I'm going to attack you if I get a chance. Racism exists, but I don't know if it really was the cause of this particular incident. Well, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, I mean, time will tell. And, and you know, Todd, that's that's some of the most well said content I, I've heard on our podcast here. Uh, I, I really wanted to bring you on just to get your your opinion on all of this. Uh, you have a unique perspective in former law enforcement and all the things you just mentioned. I think hopefully we're a little better educated today. Uh, on what's going on. And yeah, my, my prayers are that these, uh, we, we can't start moving forward until this violence and rioting stops. So I, I don't know if anyone's going to get that opinion or get that, uh, that common sense down, <laughs> but it seems like uh, we can't move forward until it stops. So uh, that, that's all I have to say regarding all this. I'm right there with you. I agree. <laughs> well, 
uh, the, I think the law enforcement are going to have to do something. It, it, you know, eventually they're going to really have to, uh, if, if the balls, if they're pushed around enough, I mean, the law enforcement, the National Guard, whoever it is, uh, they're going to have to keep the peace one way or another. And they'll be scrutinized to death for it. I know they will. But, uh, you know, God willing, it doesn't have to happen. It can <laughs> move on uh, in other ways. But, uh, you know, God bless everyone out there and, and the, uh, the soldiers on the front lines for sure. Anything else, Todd, before we kind of wrap things up here? Uh, you know what? This was fun, Matt. I appreciate you, uh, you know, contacting me and, and asking me to come on the show. Um, I, I'll do it again some other time if you want. You want to talk about football, once, uh, you know, college football or high school football. You know, actually, I'm also the uh, – PA announcer for Chino Hills High School basketball, or no, Chino High School basketball, and so I've had a little bit of knowledge there. Um, I got, you know, we can talk about my kids. You know, I'll talk about them till I'm blue in the face. Or if you want to talk about <laughs> this subject or anything else comes up, I'm more than happy to come back. This was this was awesome. This was a blast. Thank you. You you're uh, you're very welcome. The pleasure's all mine. And and you know what? Uh, yeah, let's let's when we get back together, let's we'll talk some more positive thoughts. I'm sure. Hopefully, we're playing sports soon in the fall, and uh, we'll see what happens. But yeah, we'll definitely have you back, Todd, and it'll be a lot of uh, fun to just well, whatever happens. Whatever happens, I'm sure I, I I really respect your opinion and your insight on a lot of these things uh, that are going on in the, in the world. So thanks for being here. And yes, thank you. Mr. McCraven. My pleasure, Mr. Hersema. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Talk to you, you soon. You got it, buddy. Another big thank you to Mr. McCraven, Mr. Todd McCraven, that is. It's always going to be difficult to call him Todd, but I'm working on it. Uh, I look forward to chatting with you again, sir, sir, very soon, whether it's on Facebook or a text message. I will definitely have you back on the program sometime, maybe to talk about some, some current sports if we ever get into that here soon. But thanks so much for being here. It was such a pleasure to talk with you. Well, guys, that was a lot of fun talking with Mr. McRaven. We really covered some good topics, hopefully learned something from it. Tomorrow's guest is a little different. He is Tony Padilla. No relation to last week's guest, Rich Padilla. Tony Padilla is, quite frankly, one of the best college basketball officials, not only on the West Coast, but in the entire country. He has worked multiple Final Fours. He... Works probably 95 north of 100 games a season, 95 regular season games. And after the NCAA tournament and everything, he's probably working well over 100 games. But he is one of the best basketball officials on the West Coast. You can see him on almost every night during the basketball season. He works in the Pac-12, the Big 12, uh, the Big West, all the conferences on the West Coast and even out into the, uh, the Midwest a little bit. So really looking forward to that conversation with him tomorrow. It was a blast to share some uh, stories and just some uh, overall insight on officiating with him. Another thing about him is he has a connection to baseball as well. He does some coaching. He also throws a batting practice for the AAA team up in Sacramento where he lives. He got to uh, got to throw some BP in a home run derby once. There's a lot to talk about with him. Uh, I just really look forward to that conversation tomorrow. Hope you guys will tune in. Even if you're not a basketball fan, uh, you'll definitely learn something from it. It was a long conversation and a fun one, and I can't wait to uh, to post that tomorrow. You guys will like it. Trust me. Tune in tomorrow. Well, that will wrap up another episode of the Get Home Safe podcast. 
Again, I really appreciate Mr. McRaven leading us off today. Uh, just, a, I think, a step in the right direction for all of us, and especially this podcast. I'm going to still reach out to some more law enforcement that I know and maybe some people who have other insight as well. Uh, I really look forward to our remainder of our guests. I will not tell you the remainder of our lineup this week. But I will tell you, of course, Bill Barnes will be here on Wednesday, as he always is. So you know who you're, you're going to have Tuesday and Wednesday. But those are the guests come upcoming, at least for the, the first part of this week. I do want to thank you all for listening and thank you all for the feedback. Last week's shows went really well. We had a lot of uh, good plays from everyone. And you know what, guys? We're slowly approaching 3,000 plays, if you can believe that. And that's all a tribute to all of you who have listened and continue to pass along these recordings and interviews and episodes and just just it's i'm so from the bottom of my heart thank you so much for all of you as always you can follow the get home safe podcast through the various platforms on twitter we are the get home safe pod get home safe pod that is our instagram and facebook page is get home safe podcast and our email address is get home safe podcast at yahoo.com i spoke in the beginning of the intro today about listening to each other and the fact that we do have two ears and, and one mouth. Uh, I do like feedback from you guys. If you have any topics you'd like me to discuss, please feel free to reach out. Our email address is there. You can always, uh, you know, we just formulate some discussion here. Really uh, touch on some topics that you guys want to hear about. I'm going to continue to bring on guests of people that I know, people from my past, people that were in my profession, and just people uh, of, uh, you know, in various aspects of life that I've come across. So that is the plan. I'm still going to have my two cents in the, in the opening usually, uh, but that's just kind of painting a picture for you guys what our episodes are going to continue to be about and, and we will adjust too accordingly if, if i feel if, uh, people want it to go in a different direction we will do that we are about adjustments here and we just want to put out good content for you guys to try to improve this show but thank you to all who, who listen you can listen to us many many platforms as well we run through the anchor app but we appreciate any listenership we get wherever it's at whether it's anchor apple spotify many other places thank you for tuning in we really appreciate it i cannot say it enough That'll wrap us up today. We look forward to Tony Padilla t- tomorrow. I can't tell, tell you enough how great uh, it was to ch- talk with him. You will really enjoy that interview tomorrow. I can promise you very much. But until then, guys, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around at third base, get home safe.